and welcome to Dairy Dialogue podcast number 139 and today we have a theme, International Women in Engineering Day, which is today, June the 23rd. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and I admit to being a little confused by the numbers today because I've already completed the interviews for next week's podcast, as well as done one for the following week, so I have three podcasts all on the go at once, and for a while I had no idea what number I was on. Obviously, it doesn't take much to throw me off. It's been decent weather this week, the only downside being having to water the garden. Although on the way to our walk this week on the east coast of Scotland, I don't think I've ever driven in heavier rain. So it looked like that would be over before it even started. But it turned out okay as we walked along the cliffs, taking way too many photos and trying to spot some puffins or whales or pretty much anything. In a way, I'm kind of glad we didn't because I didn't take all of my long lenses with me and I would have hated to have missed out on a good photo. The place we went to is a little village called St. Abs, which is where some of the Avengers Endgame movie was filmed and it became, in the movie, New Asgard. There was a sign-up for a while, but apparently some villagers didn't like all the attention, so it came down. But the information centre in the village has a fake sign that you can take outside. So my wife, being a big movie lover, I lugged the sign outside, feeling a bit silly, and took her photograph with it. I can't even tell you how many times I've taken photographs while at events around the world and texted them back home, only for her to tell me what movie was filmed there. The other really exciting news from the week is that we, and when I say we, I didn't help a lot, tidied the garage and now my drum kit is set up in there to annoy the neighbours, and probably the neighbours in the next village as well. I did play them briefly and realised that while you don't lose the timing, you sure do lose the speed and coordination after not playing for a couple of years. But of course, this has nothing whatsoever to do with the podcast or the industry news, so I'll get on with why you're here. June the 23rd is International Women in Engineering Day, so it's taking place right now, because while it's being put on by a UK organisation, the Women's Engineering Society, it's a global event with things happening online all day from the Philippines and Australia right across to Canada. So it really happens across two days in terms of time zones. Some of the events will be recorded to take in later, and if you do want to check out the events taking place, please go to www.inwed.org.uk for more details. International Women in Engineering Day began in the UK in 2014 as a national campaign from the Women's Engineering Society. Since then, Inwed has grown, receiving UNESCO patronage in 2016, and going global the following year due to the interest and enthusiasm developed by the international audience and participants in previous years, and it's continued to grow. So on the show today, we have three interviews related to International Women in Engineering Day with Women's Engineering Society CEO Elizabeth Donnelly, Abigail Dagadu, lead food scientist at Tetra Pak's Denton facility, and Ninka Vandenberg, Production Plant Manager at Friesland Campina. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. So let's get on with this week's news. SIG has extended its aluminum or aluminium free packaging formats. Kotka Mills has grown its plastic-free consumer boards range to include ice cream packaging, And we had an article on the next big flavor for ice cream, potentially. Could it be beetroot? Well, I'll let you decide on that one. Television cook-offs are pretty big right now, and so the California Dairy Food Service competition finals are going to be streamed live. Because we had a special newsletter last week, we had three different articles for it, all of which were very interesting. IFF explained how its library helps dairy producers fight bacteriophage infection. Danone North America told us everything you need to know about biotics, dairy and gut health. And Ely Group gave us some insights on how it drives dairy innovation. All worth a read if I do say so myself. Formula and infant food manufacturers have been urged to implement WHO marketing recommendations Milko Bell has made an upward move in mozzarella with the takeover of cheese shredder cast brick, and DSM expanded its yogurt capabilities with a new stirred yogurt culture. 
For a couple of articles about Arla, it's building a dairy farm in Nigeria to support local milk production, and it's also partnering with Dale Farm in Northern Ireland to supply whey protein. Oterra is in discussions to acquire Diana Foods' coloring business. In the U.S., the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research is supporting Dairy's Net Zero plan with a $10 million grant, and 108 Labs, who we featured on the podcast not too long ago, is building the first cell-cultured human milk factory. You can read all of these and plenty more at DairyReporter.com. So we should get to the first interview about International Women in Engineering Day, and what better place to start than with an overview of the event from the organization that set it all in motion, the Women's Engineering Society. And we had a really interesting conversation with the CEO, Elizabeth Donnelly. Okay, to start things off, I wonder if you could give me a bit of information and background on the Women's Engineering Society. So the Women's Engineering Society was founded on the 23rd of June 1919 by an influential committee of the National Council of Women that had been set up to support women working in munitions factories during the First World War. And at the time, the government had spent the equivalent of one and a half billion pounds on training women to work in munitions. But at the same time that women were allowed to become doctors and lawyers and civil servants and were being elected to parliament and allowed to vote, uh, they also passed the Restoration of Pre-War Practices Act, which meant that women had to leave the factories and the engineering jobs that they'd enjoyed in order for men to take their jobs when they came back from war. And Lady Catherine Parsons, one of our founders, said it's a perversion that women have been instructed to make the weapons of war, but weren't permitted to make the munitions of peace. So we were founded 102 years ago, and our objects at the time were very similar to what we have now. Aside from allowing women to be educated in universities in engineering and allowing women to be admitted to the institutions of engineering, which now happen, essentially we've got the same objects, which are to promote the education of women and to tell the public about the education of women and also to relieve the poverty of women engineers. And the way we do that is by encouraging them to to get jobs in engineering because they're so well paid. In modern times, we first had a chief executive officer appointed in 2016, and I'm the third person to have held that role. And I was brought in in 2018 to move ways away from being a voluntary ladies charity about engineering and more of the professional network. We now have over 100 partners, over 2,000 members, and we're the oldest women's engineering society in the world and the largest women's engineering society in the UK. We founded International Women in Engineering Day about eight years ago as a national event. And last year, we had a potential reach of over 100 million on Twitter, trending at number one on the day until Boris Johnson announced that the pubs were going to open. And we were then retweeted by people like the Royal Family and the Labour Party who wanted to have access to our large audience. But of course, we got access to their audiences who wouldn't normally be interested in engineering. And so we have a campaign every year on the 23rd of June, which is our birthday, to celebrate women in engineering and encourage women to take up engineering. We change the theme every year. And last year it was very much about sustainability and uh, about um, shaping the world. And this year, in honour of the pandemic and the heroics that have gone on behind the scenes, we now have um, a theme of engineering heroes. And so what was the engine women in engineering day introduced to address is just generally awareness it was a national day created in uh, 2014 to create a day of awareness about women in engineering unfortunately only about 12.37 percent of all engineers are women in the uk and this is quite a low percentage and back Eight years ago, it was only about 9% altogether. So it was how can we highlight engineering so that not only do women feel that they can enter the field of engineering, but that the general public is aware that engineering is not just hard hats and dirty overalls, but much more about problem solving, creativity and team building. The event itself, I know obviously you, you do a lot of social media and awareness. Are there other things that you try and do on that day as well? Yes, we have a whole host of events um, which are registered on our on our website, inwedge.org.uk. So starting very early in the morning, 
in our time, it probably might even still be the 22nd of June, we've got the women of Timor-Leste in Indonesia will be holding an online webinar. So the whole event starts in Australia and, and Indonesia and travels across the world until the west coast of America complete their day. So it kind of lasts well, more than 24 hours, so it's 12 hours before, 12 hours after. And um, we have our main webinar at midday on the 23rd of June, and that's free to register, um, where we'll be talking with Major Angela Laycock, who was one of the engineers behind building the Birmingham Nightingale Hospital, but also helped supervise some of the reparations when they repair of the Todbrook Dam collapse in 2019. Uh, we've also got Jeanette Marks from Swift Air, who is going to be talking about future engineering. Jane Priston, who will be talking about Amy Johnson, a pioneering aviator who was once president of the Women's Engineering Society. And we've also got a woman speaking from the Corporation of Cape Town, and she's the woman who keeps the power on and basically tries to minimise the carbon footprint of energy in South Africa. So that's very exciting webinar and we'll also be announcing the winners of the top 50 women in engineering so we called for all those women who had been helping out in the pandemic or in other emergencies to apply to be one of our top 50 winners and we'll be announcing those on the same day. What we used to do before the pandemic was hold an afternoon tea to celebrate the, the top 50 women in engineering, the We 50 we call them, and we would only have about 200 people of whom 50 were the the winners and another 50 were their guests. Whereas because we're now holding these events online, we're reaching many hundreds more people that we, than we would have dreamed of before. So it's going to be a challenge when we are allowed to meet in person as to how we actually um, have an event that can be truly global, but also celebrate these women in person. You mentioned Amy Johnson there, who was from my old home city of Hull, and there was even a school named after her for the longest time. I would guess that there are hundreds and even thousands of really interesting stories that you're able to tell going back many years about women in roles such as this. Absolutely. We have um, we actually have a map on our website called the Wes Centenary Trail Map, and it's got over 300 pins on it. And these are women who are associated with the Women's Engineering Society or engineers. And we've got an algorithm behind it that means that if you enter an article onto Wikipedia that talks about women in engineering, it will actually put a pin in there. So we're now starting to see pins coming up in Germany and Italy and other countries in their languages that appear on our map because other people are writing about women in engineering. I mean, there are loads of them. There's Jeannie Hicks, who was the woman who put electricity into Winchester Cathedral. And apparently when she was laying the cables, they had to move some coffins, but they found Jane Austen's coffin. And they, instead of removing her to the crypt, they just moved her gently to one side, which I think is lovely. And we've got Daphne Jackson, who founded the Daphne Jackson Trust, which now allows women to return to work after they've had a career break. And she said, imagine a world where Marie Curie was told to stack shelves in a supermarket just because she'd become a mother. And, and it's those kinds of inspiring women that are, are really great. And we've got hundreds of these stories. And obviously, we have women who are continuing to make history now. And when we had our centenary, I was asked a lot about what women had done in our past. But I chose the theme of transform the future because I wanted to ensure that the wishes of our founders, which were to encourage women into engineering, were continued, that we shouldn't be looking at our history. We should be allowing current women to make their own history on the way while they're being engineers. Is there a good understanding, do you think, of the kind of roles available in engineering? No, I don't think so. It's very difficult because if you look at drama on TV, often you'll find that the jobs that people have, whether you're talking about a sibling rivalry or a love betrayal or a murder, you've got the people who, the jobs the kind of characters have are lawyers or estate agents or doctors or solicitors or vet surgeons, you know, they, they generally don't have engineers. So people don't get to understand what engineering is. It's not generally taught as a subject in schools. You get taught bits of it. So you get taught maths and physics and craft design technology and, and some technical drawing. But engineering as a subject is, is so badly portrayed on screen and in the media that people often think that it's a car mechanic or it's the person who comes to fit your boiler or your washing machine and I'm not denigrating those jobs because those are great technical jobs and are brilliant if people some people disagree with me but people who want those jobs 
and call themselves engineers, they get really upset they're calling them an engineer because they say that they're not proper engineers. But I would say that if people feel good because they can call themselves an engineer, they're still doing something technical that involves problem solving. But there is there are so many jobs. One of the reasons we publish a picture of the top 50 women in engineering in their workwear is to show that very few of them wear hard hats and overalls. Most of them wear the kind of clothes that you and I would wear to, to work. And not necessarily suits and dresses, but trousers and smart because they're working at a computer with something called CAD design or um, other things. When you walk into factories, you often find that they're very clean, they're very well lit, they've got demarcated areas so it's safe for people to walk around uh, and the whole image of engineering being dirty and outside and hard hats is the minority of the profession. I much prefer to say it's about teamwork, collaboration, problem solving and every day is different. And do you have any stats on the number of women in engineering positions? Yes yeah, so as I mentioned these are actually from 2017 and they were published in 2019, and we haven't had up-to-date statistics since then because of the pandemic. But basically, we have just under half a million women who make up 9% of the total engineering workforce in engineering companies are women. So that's 91% of the jobs are, are male. But in non-engineering companies that have engineering functions, the number is about 380,000, and that makes up 18% of all the engineers in those jobs. So we've got about 750,000 women as engineers across the country. What we find interesting is that we find the percentages of women being engineers are higher in non-engineering firms. And I strongly believe that that's because non-engineering firms, whether it's, for example, making crisps, I've been down the Walker's Crisp factory, which has engineering, or whether it's um, Merlin Entertainment who make roller coasters, because they um, have more women in their companies generally, then they're more open to employing women as engineers. So the answer to having more women in engineering is to have more women in engineering. Uh, and a lot of companies are realising that that's the case. We've got, you know, thousands of engineering vacancies across the UK, and they're not all going to be filled by young lads coming out of school or university. So but it's really not a good idea to exclude half the population because they bring such a rich perspective themselves. And in this type of role, is the potential for advancement limited? Well, the issue is that there is a problem with advancement in engineering. We conducted a survey in 2019 of uh, nearly 7,000 engineers, men and women, about 50% each. And the top problem in engineering was a barrier to advancement, but that was by men and women. So we think that there is probably an issue about people being in jobs they really enjoy and not moving on. And because there can be quite a hierarchy in engineering, it's then very difficult for people underneath to get promoted and to get into progression. But aside from that, the pay gap is quite good. Overall, it's 10%, which is much less than the UK average of about 17%. And that's mostly, and the 10% is mostly because we've got more men in senior or well-paid roles. But essentially, if you are a young woman engineer sitting next to a young male engineer in the same job, in the same location, the same company, the difference in your pay will be about 1%. And I think that's very encouraging, particularly because engineering is very well paid. So the progression issue is not just something that affects women. Where we do have a problem is the leaky pipeline because women will take career breaks for whatever reason and then find it difficult to get back into work. And again, we think sometimes this is because these are quite male-dominated industries who don't understand how they might change their work practices to encourage women to come back either part-time. But when we did our survey, caring responsibilities and childcare came right down the list of issues that women felt stopped them progressing. Uh, what was more interesting, and this is where we could see that it was women's issue rather than men's, was things like lack of confidence, um, lack of opportunities for coaching and mentoring. And we think that, again, women want to feel ready to step into a role, whereas it's more likely that men, even if they do have a lack of confidence, won't tell us about it. Uh, so what we found was that we need to remove the barriers to progression and we also need to help women become much more confident so that they can ask for their next role. And as far as getting women in there and onto that ladder of becoming engineers, how do you bridge that gap to communicate with women that are maybe looking for a career change or women going into university or in schools? How do you make it something that is a bit more attractive and, and also a bit more understood? 
partly we're trying to say instead of a, lo a lot of the messaging about engineering is oh you've got to be really good at maths and physics and whilst that may be true it's not true of every field of engineering I have a physics O level grade C and I have a maths A level grade B but I went into IT and then into systems engineering and didn't need those kind of qualifications at the time um, it's much more about problem solving and creativity girls are you know very eager to problem solve some of it's about the stereotype that from a very early age girls and boys feel that certain roles are gendered it's you know some roles are for girls some roles are for boys and that's hard to overcome so what we're looking at is trying to make it more attractive in terms of problem solving explaining that it's very well paid explaining that every day is different because a lot of people want variety and for, for girls in particular we try and explain why engineering is good so a boy is more likely to just do something but a girl will be happier doing it if she knows that she's doing it for a reason and that's partly why we chose engineering heroes because we wanted to say that these are things that are going on behind the scenes that you may not know about but are really important how do you actually get that message across in schools do you have like outreach programs so that you can encourage girls in school to choose this as a career path we don't as an organization because we're only a small organization i've only got four staff at the moment and we realized that the field of offering stem inspiration and outreach to children is quite crowded there are an awful lot of organizations that are in that space and a lot of them are funded by very very big companies like bp or shell or uh, Rolls-Royce or BAU Systems. And then there are other organisations like Primary Engineer, which also runs the Secondary Engineer Programme, who are specialised and have expertise in that area. So we said we are a network of women members and we are here to support women to fulfil their potential in engineering and to help industry to be more inclusive. So whilst we don't do outreach, uh, we are pleased that it's out there and our role is once you're in engineering how can we keep you in engineering and ensure that you have a really great time and that you're in the right job you know, again I get women call me and say that they want to leave because they really are very unhappy and when I get to the root of why they're unhappy generally it's because they're not in the job that's right for them so I had a call from one woman who's working on a very long 10-year project and it wasn't moving quickly enough for her and she wants to leave the whole field of engineering I said you just need to find a project that's more you know maybe a one-year project or a six-month project or a four-year project and so that was a great because we were able to help her work find a role that was more suitable and then again you know we have people who you know women who have they're in companies that they don't enjoy working in and so again it's about trying to help them within that company or to try and help them find a role elsewhere and it's brilliant as well because we've got lots of companies that partner with us and we're very committed to making sure they have more women in their companies as well so if you go on our website you can see all of our hundreds of partners and the great thing is that as somebody who wants to be in engineering, you can look at our website and think, oh, I'm going to work for that company because by being our partner, they say they want to work with the women in engineering. And I assume that if somebody was interested, you would be able to find a way to get them the information that they needed or put them in touch with somebody that works in the field that they're interested in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, because of the pandemic, our main phone line is being currently is currently forwarded to my mobile. So I get all kinds of queries from girls in school saying, oh, to engineering, how do I go about it? To women engineers who are having issues at work, to um, companies wanting to know much more about us as well. And do you have any goals or any strategies as to how, we, how this can be improved in the future to get more people involved? Well, we have a vision that engineering is going to be a sector that enhances the diversity of the population in order to solve the most complicated problems of our time, including climate change and uh, the pandemic, because it's engineers who put their minds to things and make changes. That's our vision. The way we're going to get there is by growing and by including more women in our network and also by um, reaching out to more engineering companies and companies who have engineering in them that you wouldn't necessarily think of, for example, Costa Coffee or Amazon, because they've got some fantastic picking robots and machinery that helps when you place your order on Amazon for that order to arrive at your house the next day or whenever. And so we hope that by encouraging more companies to partner with us, we will encourage them to have more inclusive practices. And also we will publicise more about engineering so more women think, yeah, actually, that's something I'd like to go and try and do.
as well. And again, one of the great things about engineering is the apprenticeship programmes. They're not just at a basic level for people who are looking at 16 to go into engineering, but you can go into an apprenticeship that will get you a degree that will essentially pay your fees and pay you while you're learning so that you can graduate in your 20s with an engineering degree and you've been working since you were 18. So you've also got a lot of savings behind you and you haven't had to look for jobs in supermarkets over the summer. And as far as the event goes, it's certainly not just UK based. There are things taking place all around the world. Every year I look at it and the countries you think of only in exotic dreams, you know, are actually holding women in engineering events on our day. I love it. And I'm sure it, it gets emotional as well when you see that it's growing. Last year was the first time our demographic showed that more than 50% of the interaction came outside the UK. So that's like, wow, it's not just the UK with a few international bits. It's like this is truly global now. Well, we've had UNESCO patronage for a couple of years and then during the pandemic we haven't been able to secure that because they're rightly focused on other areas. But we have had UNESCO UK support us and we're, we're hoping they'll support us again this year. And as the person who leads the Women's Engineering Society, it's really exciting because as it gets bigger, it means that we have more funding and we can therefore grow and we can do more for companies and more for women in engineering. And also with only 12.5% of all engineers being women, the only way that number can go is up. And I appreciate that this is going out after some of the events have already started, but some of them are available on demand. So please do check out the website with all of the event listings at inwed.org. Org.uk. Now we'll head across to Tetra Pak to hear from Abigail Dagadu, lead food scientist at Tetra Pak's Denton facility in the US. As this ties in with the Inwed event, I wonder if you could tell me what your job title is and give me a bit of a run through of what you do in your job. Thank you for having me on your show. Today, Jim. My name is Abigail Dagadu, and I am the lead food scientist in the American cluster, which consists of the US, Canada, Latin America, and the Caribbean. My role is to work with food and beverage producers, such as companies that produce liquid or solid food products. At Tetra Pak, some of my focus is to work with food producers to ensure food safety is maintained across the value chain. At the same time, researching new ways to improve the taste and nutritional value of products. And so what kind of a background did you have in terms of studies and previous positions and experience to get you where you are today at Tetra Pak? I studied biology and nutritional science in the university. And I later on went for my MBA as well. When it comes to the food industry, I have over 20 years experience in the food industry. I have worked for several big and small CPG companies. I have held different positions such as flavor assistant, quality technician, product development, and more. When you were first starting out, did you really know what you wanted to do? I mean, were there role models or people showing you what was possible, or is it more that you got to where you are by gaining experience? When going to the university, my main goal was to become a medical doctor, and everybody in my family knew that was the plan, hence the major in biology. But when I got to the university, one of the requirements for my major was to do an internship. So lucky for me, I was able to get an internship with one of the flavor companies around the school. And when I started the internship, that's when I discovered the world of food science. I immediately was drawn to food science because it was something that I had already have an interest because I love to cook. I was drawn to this sector because I fell in love with food science during my internship. It gave me 
the option to be creative, not just for myself, but also to be creative in uh, the way that products are put on the market and also to be creative in terms of using food to solve certain areas of diseases and solving famine by making food uh, available and at the same time making them safe around the world for people who will not have the chance to be able to get these food or to get these nutritious uh, food where they are by local source. So that was one of the the first uh, love that I had for food science and in terms of being creative when it comes to being a product developer. And also it helped, um, as I said, address some of the social issues by developing product for uh, diseases, developing product for fighting world hunger, for also fighting um, famine, and also making food available, as I said before. So that was really a key to my heart, being from my background, being from a, a continent that has seen a lot of uh, famine. So it gave me the uh, assurance and also it gave me the strength to work at it hard and get to where I need to be. In terms of role model, doing my internship uh, and every position that I have been from then to now, I have met different role models whom I still uh, have a relationship with and I still talk to once in a while just to pick their brains and, you know, get some insight in terms of uh, where I'm heading and where what I could be doing uh, better. Uh, so I would say I am where I am because of my role models and also because of the experience that I have gained on the way as well. Has the job and your position changed over the years? And do you think that there are more women in roles like this or is it something that still needs to be worked on? Although more women have joined or have, have become food scientists since I joined, over the years there has been changes, but not to a level that we think bring diversity enough when it comes to the food and beverage industry. We are calling on more women. Tetra Pak has brought this in, in initiative to call more women to be in the food and beverage industry, to make sure that food is saved, available, and also the sustainability. So we are calling on more women and young girls who will take interest in STEM and become food scientists or become food engineers in helping fight a world issues such as hunger, such as diseases, uh, metabolic diseases, such as making food available and also safe for people who consume it. Food is such a big factor of our individual life and it needs the most intelligent and most uh, willing people to make it safe, to make it sustainable from generation to generation. So we see women as a source that can help with this issue in the food industry by becoming a food scientist and by working with other food scientists to address some of the social and economical issues that the world is facing right now. We cannot just sit there and looking at kids being hungry around the world. We all have to stand. And I believe once we are able to solve some of these changes, the world will be a better place for all of us. Through this campaign, Tetra Pak is calling on young girls, calling on young women, calling on people who have interest and passion in science, in engineering, any field of STEM to look into becoming a food scientist in, uh, in, in terms of how you see food. There's different areas when it comes to food science. 
you we you can be a nutritionist you can be a plant scientist you can be a soil scientist uh not just food scientist um you can be an, an animal scientist that will help in terms of when it comes to uh spawning uh animal genetics and nutrition reproduction also when it comes to soil scientists that examine the composition of uh soil and how it affect the plant and the crop so there's different diverse areas of food science food scientists that we can uh, encourage uh the young kids kids who likes to cook and just to talk to them that you know you can actually grow your passion into a career that you will be happy to go into it every day and at the same time changing life and at the same time making difference in the world and how do you think that more can be done? Is it more a case of people like you with experience being able to encourage or mentor people coming into the field? I believe more could be done. And I would like to challenge my colleagues who are in the same field as I am in to mentor people who are coming into the field, sharing our experiences, telling them uh, what needs to be done some of our failures, some of our wins, um, because I do believe by making a, by exposing ourselves to these young people or people who are interested in food science, it tells them the true stories behind some of the success and behind some of the failures that we, we have. So I will encourage people who are interested or people who are already in the field to have a mentorship in terms of young people who are interested or young, if somebody reach out to you, be willing to share your experience at the same time, giving them the insight that they need to be successful in this career. With that said, if there is someone who is interested in food science I personally do believe you should reach out to find somebody in that field that you can relate to. Reach out to them, you know, via social media such as LinkedIn, even Facebook, uh, Twitter. If you, you know, to to be mentored by this these uh, individual, I have several people who have reached out to me by you know email, different avenues to just sit and talk. I believe last month I had somebody who is in the banking sector and they happened to reach out to me and express interest in changing uh, their career field into food science. Uh, it's just something that they've been doing as a passion on the side, but they've seen uh, a lot of interesting things when it comes to product and they would like to turn their passion into a career. Uh, so we, I set up a call with them and talked with them and gave them the different areas of food science that you'll be able to explore when you get into the industry. And the ones the questions that I couldn't ask, I directed them to the right people that could help them or gave them to the right mentors that can help them in that area. So if there's somebody out there who is intrigued and just wanted to uh, know more about food science, reach out to people in that field, leaders in that field, and just ask the questions that you need to. Uh, no question is a, a wrong question. Uh, just get as much information, as much knowledge that you need. Do you think that this is something that once you do get into the field, that there are opportunities to grow and develop and change and move up as well? The field of food science have many opportunities for you to grow develop and as well as move up uh, when it comes to being promoted. Food science, there are different areas, as I mentioned before. Uh, one can become uh, a regulatory compliance, basically um, dealing with the FDA, USDA in terms of the product uh, uh, regulation, making sure it's in compliance with whichever company the food is going to be uh, uh, sold on shelves. Someone can become a, a lab a quality technician, as I mentioned before. When I started out, I didn't, I didn't start as the lead food scientist. I started as a, um, a lab assistant. Um, then I was able to grow from that into different uh, areas and different positions to where I am today. So there is room to grow. And there is room to develop. There is room to change the areas that you want to specialize in when it comes to food science. Uh, you do not have to be a product 
developer. You can be a flavorist. You can be a, a QA, QC person. You can be a sensory scientist. So there's different areas of specialties in the food science field. And now we have an interview with Ninka Vandenberg, Production Plant Manager at Friesland Campina. If you could tell me a little bit about what you do there at Friesland Campina. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, so my role at Friesland Campina is uh, being a production manager at a cheese factory. So in this cheese factory, we process about 1 million liters of milk per day. And it's producing 24 hours a day all uh, throughout the whole year. And uh, my role is that I coordinate the production, logistics and planning uh, departments. So I have to make sure that all the production goes safely and that we produce it in high quality and also in the, in the most efficient uh, manner. So an example of challenges that I have in this role are, for example, that we need to increase the capacity in the factory. Each uh, cheese that we produce is also being sold because the demand is high. So uh, yeah, this requires on one hand technical uh, adaptations, but also for the people in the factory to work differently to make sure that we also reach um, more productivity in the in the plant. Yeah, and each day is different in the in a factory. And what I really like about this role is that you work together with so many different uh, people. Eh? On one hand, I have to work with operations, uh, with the operators, and the next moment I have to uh, discuss some topics with the people from the head office. So the yeah, the colleagues that I work together with uh, that really uh, energizes me. What kind of cheeses do you do? You just produce one kind of cheese there, or lots of different ones? Yeah, we produce about uh, 35 recipes and these are all uh, Dutch uh, cheeses and they're made from two types of milk. So it's really uh, regionally made uh, North Holland's milk, as how we say. So we also make uh, North Holland's Gouda cheese, Uh, but we also make cheeses from Planet Proof milk, which is the sustainable uh, milk. And so you told me a little bit about what you do in your job which sounds really interesting what led you to that position i mean in terms of like your education background and your career path i did not do an, a technical uh, study i did study uh, economics but yeah also from the start i wasn't really clear what i uh, what i wanted to do uh, later on but i talked actually to people working in supply chain yeah this really interested me and yes, this is actually uh, how I started in the supply chain traineeship from Friesland Campina. And that program really provides you with the opportunity to work in all kinds of departments and see all kinds of departments. And then it's also easier to make the decisions on the next step. And that is actually how I came uh, into the current uh, factory where I'm working for four years now. So I started in this factory as uh, in a role of assistant production manager. So there was more uh, a broader role on challenges that arose at that moment. There, there were some challenges in the warehouse. So that is where I focused on. And actually one year later, I was also uh, the manager of the warehouse and the logistics. And since two years now, uh, yeah, being a production manager, so really overseeing both the logistics, the warehouse and the, and the production uh, of this production site. So, so like for somebody that is in school that doesn't necessarily know anything about this, they don't necessarily have to know exactly what they want to do and focus in on it. They can sort of figure it out as they go. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at Fishland Campina, they are on one hand recruiting people with a very technical background, but it's also they definitely provide opportunities to also get in those jobs when you don't have that background and when you just show that you uh, that you are enthusiastic about it. Still, I do not have all the knowledge that my colleagues have about the technicalities or the technological aspects of the cheese. Uh, but I did learn to ask the right questions and to deal with the complexity. And that is also something that you can still add value with. And I think you need both in the, in the company, but I'm also surrounded with good colleagues. Are you seeing more women in different positions in science, technology, and engineering at Friesland Campina? 
Now, if you look at Friesland Campina, there are more than 24,000 people working uh, for the company. And this is worldwide. Uh, uh, so if you look at the average numbers, there are about 30% of women working for Friesland Campina. But if you look deeper into it, you see that most of the people work actually in the factories. And these are still mostly men. Um, but also if you look at the senior management and at the board, there the aim of Friesland Campina is to have at least 30% women in those positions. And in the board, there is currently we have about 33% of women uh, fulfilling such a position. For myself, I work at a, at a plant. So yes, I'm surrounded by mostly men. But also when I compare it to the four years ago when I started here, at the shop floor, it's the same ratio still. But if I look at the jobs which are close to the shop floor, I see more uh, women also being attracted by these uh, positions. So that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, and if you look at Friesland Campina, we have a huge policy on diversity and inclusion. We think it's very important to have all those nationalities, backgrounds, and on all the skills on diversity and inclusion, we want to be inclusive. And if you ask me personally, I also think this is very important to have all those views and perspectives in your team, because I do believe that this leads to actually better teamwork, better results. And that is also what Trisland Campina is striving for. You mentioned when you were talking about your background, how you've gone from sort of one position and moved up. Are there opportunities for career development and growth for women in this kind of role? Yes, from personal experience, I would definitely uh, definitely say yes. Um, but also when I look around, I mean, it's a big company. So uh, per definition, there are many uh, possibilities. But, uh, but I also see that they provide opportunities if you're enthusiastic and if you're showing that you can handle the responsibility. Um, but Friesland Campina is also investing a lot in training and in personal development of their employees, coaching. For example, I have a mentor, but I'm also mentoring younger colleagues. So it's really something that they think is important. And it's also because they really feel that if people feel valued and feel trusted and having fun uh, while working, that really leads to personal development, both with better results for Friesland Campina. So they also state hey, when people grow, Friesland Campina as a whole also grows. So they really invest in this win-win situation. And as far as schools, universities, does Friesland Campina do any outreach to communicate with children in schools? Uh, well, there's a lot of active recruitment at universities, for example, for the corporate initiative program that I was also a part of. And this is both on the more technical disciplines. So, for example, recruiting on um, people uh, for technological uh, jobs or supply chain jobs, IT jobs, but also, for example, for finance and commercial jobs. But we also try to motivate people already a stage before that to think about the all those several jobs that we offer. So, for example, in the plant where I work, we actively approach students to do an internship at our uh, plant. And this happens also at a broader scale uh, within Friesland Campina. I just wonder what advice you would have for younger women aspiring to choose science-related positions. Yes, it's a, that's a good question. I really have a, I have two advices, actually. Uh, one advice which is really from my own experience and that is do not let yourself be held back by your insecurities and why do I say this I think many people will feel insecure but it's so important that you hey, you may feel insecure allow those thoughts but do not let them guide you in your decisions if you feel that you are interested in that particular job or technical job and you might feel oh am I good enough for example or what will they think? Okay, you have those thoughts, but still show your interest, go for it and make the best out of it. Yeah, that is something that I also had to had to learn and I'm still coping with today, but it's important to not let your decisions be guided by those thoughts. And secondly, there was one book that I found uh, very inspiring. 
This book is written by Cheryl Sandberg. She's the COO from Facebook. And she wrote a book about uh, women, women at work and how to have success at work. And I really recommend all women to, to read that book. And the, the book is called Lean In. Now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. This week saw prices uh, move lower uh, for butter and skim milk powder. June was off around €35 on the week to the 41.40 level. Quarter three was off around €50 on the week to the 40.50 level. Quarter four was more or less the same level as last week, around the 40.80, 40.70 level. And the same for quarter one of uh, 2022, uh, trading around the 40.25 level. Skim milk powder was off around 20 euros in the June contract, trading around 2600. Quarter three was off around 60 euros to the 2510 level in quarter three. And quarter four was off around 60 euros to the 2510 level. Quarter one was down around 30 euros on the week to 2508. Whey was also slightly off, maybe dropping around 50 euros to the 940, 950 level. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And so that does it for another podcast. We've now had the longest day of the year, which also coincides with the longest hay fever day of the year for me and for plenty of others. And it's now officially summer in the Northern Hemisphere, so bring on the rain, and winter in the Southern I can actually tell you who's on the podcast next week as it's almost done. We have interviews with Imagine Dairy, Cacique and Field Agent Canada. Of course, I've still got to edit them all and I've got plenty more interviews to keep me busy over the next few days as well. So better get preparing for those. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week and that you'll join us again next time. Take care, stay safe and as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.